Uh, turn with me today in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12. And I want to read from the verse 22. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. For life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which today in the field and tomorrow was cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 34. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. And my subject today is entitled, Possessing a Treasure in Heaven That Faileth Not. Now let me set forth our text in its proper context. Now that's important. You see, many commentators... And some ministers have taken it out of context. A minister was asked on one occasion, what does Luke 12, verse 33 and 34 actually mean? This was his reply, I don't know. Another was asked and he said, I wish it wasn't in the Bible. It's hard to understand. Now the context is very, very important. In verses 1 to 12, the Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the danger of hypocrisy. He says to them, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
That is, they're to beware of play-acting in being religious followers or devotees of Christ. They're to beware of the hypocrisy of being gripped with the fear of men's faces and the fear of persecution as a result of the gospel. In verse 13, the subject changed from hypocrisy to greed or how to handle wealth and prosperity. According to verse 13, the Lord Jesus was asked to intervene in an inheritance case. The Lord Jesus refused to act as judge and arbiter in this case. Instead, he instructed his hearers. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. The parable of the rich foolish farmer followed and was used by the Lord Jesus to drive home that very point. And you can read about it there in Luke twelve sixteen to 21. And the Lord Jesus said, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then in verse 22, he said unto the disciples, now he's telling them something. He's teaching them how this principle, being rich toward God, should actually govern their own lives. And he's telling them from verse 22 onwards that they're not to be sinfully anxious about material or their physical needs. Why? Because life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. He told them to consider the ravens. Listen to what he said in verse 24. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. Are how much more are ye better than the fowls? He then added that they should consider the lilies of the field. He told them that even Solomon in all his glory was not to be compared to the glory of one of the lilies that grows in the field. He then added something else, that even God takes care to cause the grass in the field to grow. It doesn't grow by itself. It grows under God's providence. So he says to them, in light of considering the lilies, in light of the consider the ravens, in light of the fact that God causes the grass and the field to grow, do not be overcome by sinful worry or anxiety. Don't be sinfully worried and anxious about all these things. He then says in verse 29, And seek not... Ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. For your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. He then adds, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, true and real Christians, being a true disciple, that individual must be free from being gripped in their heart and mind with a materialistic approach and a materialistic attitude to life. The true disciple is to seek first the kingdom of God. 
He's to seek to know that he's under the reign and rule of God, the kingdom of God's grace now and the kingdom of glory to come. He's to know that he's in a right relationship with the God of heaven. The Lord Jesus adds a vendor, tender touch in verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then we come to verse 33 and verse 34. And we'll ask the question, what does these words really really mean are we meant to take them seriously and the answer is yes are we meant to take them literally and the answer is yes that the lord jesus is saying sell your possessions that that's your excess baggage the things that you don't need give to the poor provide yourselves bags which wax not old and a treasure in the heaven that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now the Bible has loads to say to us about money. And the strange thing is, you've heard the saying that money talks. And do you know that there's approximately something like 2,000 references in the Bible to the subject of money? And of course, if you take the word treasure, take the word talent, take the word tithe, take the word gold, take the word silver, take the word shekel, take the word penny, take the word wages, it all points to one subject, and it's the subject of money. And here's a subject that the Lord Jesus deals with. He's the preacher. He mentions it, and he mentions it to his disciples. He's talking about a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. It's a subject that I rarely deal with. I, I really don't like talking about money. But let's have the money talk on this building from Sunday. Here it is in the Bible. And we've got to deal with it rather than shy away from it and pretend that it's not there. So we're thinking this morning of a possessing a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. The first point is really this. Possessing a treasure in heaven. Now let me ask this question. Do you have a spiritual bank account this morning? Have you got a treasure in heaven? You're familiar with a bank account. Most of us, if not all, have one. And, of course, the church has one. And uh, you'll be thinking about the financial report. We'll get it to you as soon as it's possible. It is ready. It's been presented to the committee. And, of course, the three things that you need to know is how much came in during the year and what was spent and maybe how it was spent, and what has the church got left. And it's important that the church of Jesus Christ is open and transparent, and we're seen to be accountable with the Lord's money, we're seeking to be faithful stewards, and then we will present you that financial report with a few other little details as well. But I would never ask you if you have a, a literal bank account and how much you've got in it. Because that would be none of my business. And I, I mean that most sincerely. But what I have asked you is this. Have you got a spiritual bank account? You see, all of us 
we're born spiritually debtors to God. And we're spiritually debtors to God because we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. You're familiar with Romans 3 and 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when did we sin? We sinned in Adam. That is, we inherited the guilt of Adam's first transgression. When he sinned, we sinned in him. When he fell, we fell in him. And we became in him guilty sinners. And we, we add additional guilt to that first guilt of that first transgression by every sin that we commit in thought and word and deed. And how many this morning have a mountain of guilt stacked up against them that if God was to draw them to the bar of justice, God would condemn them to a, a Christless hell in a lost eternity. You know what sin is? Sin's the transgression of the law of God. That is, when God measures us by his divine standard, his holy immutable law, his universal law, then we fall short. And added to that guilt, of course, is the fact that we're not only guilty sinners, but we're polluted sinners. We not only have a bad record, but we have a bad heart. We have hearts that love sin and iniquity. We're prone to it with an inbuilt bias. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And here's God. And he sees us born into this world as spiritual debtors. Debtors to him. We've broken his law. We're guilty and polluted. He saw us in the red. He saw us with a need to pay a debt. Think of the song, I owed a debt. I couldn't pay. And because we couldn't pay that spiritual debt to please and merit God's favor, the Lord Jesus came into the world. Remember what we read of him in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now think of the Lord Jesus, because that text of Scripture says a lot about Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. That is, rich toward God. And the Lord Jesus came into the world, born of the Virgin Mary. He gave himself willingly and voluntarily and joyfully unto the death of the cross. I want you to think of his approach of the cross. I want you to think of his attitude to the cross. I want you to think of his action at the cross. Because he offered himself up a once and for all sacrifice for sin. And there in the tree he shed his blood. And the Bible says in John 1 John 1 and verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they, they receive by faith the payment of Christ's finished work on the cross. And the, the, the moment they trust Christ, then they, 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 um, uh, uh, they, they, they start to have what we would call a, a spiritual bank account. They, they begin to be rich toward God. Let me ask this morning, are you trusting Christ now? Is he your 
Lord and Savior? Have you received him as your Redeemer? Can you say now I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity? Have you got the assurance that you're his by birth and blood and his because the love of God's in your heart? You know, you'll not find assurance in yourself that you're God's child and in God's family. You'll only find that assurance in the Savior once you trust him. And the moment you trust Christ, you now possess in the sight of God, for the first time ever, a spiritual bank account. You've got a, a spiritual treasure there. The forgiveness of sins becomes your portion. Peace with God, assurance that you're in God's family, the blood of Christ applied in your life, the, the righteousness of God imputed to your account. You're, you're legally declared righteous in his sight. You're treated as one of God's sons or daughters. You become an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. And that's all part of that which is in the spiritual bank account. And, and that becomes yours in Christ. Possessing a spiritual bank account. If we think about a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, then I ask the question, do you possess a spiritual bank account? Possessing a treasure in heaven. When you get Christ, you get everything there is of Christ. You need nothing else. Notice secondly and quickly, producing a treasure in heaven. How can I have a treasure in the heavens? Let me suggest four things. A proper use of time. See, the Bible says, redeem the time because the days are evil. The word redeem means to buy up, to, to use every opportunity that God has given you for his honour and for his glory. Most of us feel guilty about the misuse of time. Precious time that God has given to us. When we think about the proper use of time, let's think of the hymn, All to Jesus, I Surrender, I Surrender All. That, that includes the use of our time. And when we think about time, we've got to put the Lord first. So when it comes to the Lord's day, then we think about God's house and in the morning time and in the evening service. And certainly if you're saved and you love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you, you want to put the Lord first in the Lord's day. And that will be a proper use of the time. You'll not go off shopping. You won't be thinking you'll go into the golf course or, or, or anything else. You, you, will, you will put the Lord first as far as it Health enables you and circumstances permit. What about the prayer meetings of the church? We have a prayer meeting at 11 o'clock. We encourage you to come to that, young or old. We have a prayer meeting at 6.30. We have a prayer meeting here on a Wednesday night from 8 o'clock to about 9.15. I would encourage you. I remember hearing about um, a, a Mr. Brush from County Tyrone. Uh, he would often be out in the field on the tractor and it was the prayer meeting night. And uh, of course he would be thinking about his belly and thinking about dinner. But you know Mr. Brush oftentimes got off the tractor. Took off the boiler suit in the wellies. And slipped into the prayer meeting on many occasions. 
even though he never had his meal or his evening meal. Why? Because he felt it was important to have a proper use of the time. Them that honour me, First Samuel 2 and 30 says, I will honour. And he gave thanks to God for all the life's blessings he had enjoyed during that day. God gives us 168 hours in the week. How much time do we spend in the week for God? If we take out of sleeping and eating and working, I wonder do we even give a tenth of our time exclusively to God? That would be 16.8 hours if we take a tenth of 168. I wonder how many Christians, many ministers, myself included, measure up to that standard. The proper use of time. Something else, the proper use of talents. You see, God has given many natural talents to use for his ability. Think about the ability to work the computer or the church website. Think about the treasury team who's involved in the accounting of the church affairs. Think about those that are responsible for the playing of music. And these are all natural talents. And they're used for the well-being of the work of God and used for God's glory. God has also given us on top of that spiritual talents. I believe that every one of us who's born of the Spirit has at least one gift. Maybe it's only the gift of help. Helping someone in need. What about the gift of encouragement? A phone call? Sending a card? A word of comfort? Telling someone and praying for you? Asking some of the young people how their exams went? And, and tell them that you were thinking about them? That, that's all to do with encouragement. You see, it's about using our gifts for the benefit and the blessing of others. It's about using our gifts for the local church. Even being a doorkeeper. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And, and, and whether it's playing the organ or using the uh, accounting uh, mechanism or, or uh, something else. Remember, this is all voluntary labor. A, a labor of love. And of course we would encourage you as you come in to receive an open and a warm invitation. And we would ask you to remember that uh, folks need to be encouraged to come. And they need a firm handshake and maybe a few polite questions. Whatever gift you have, whatever talent God has given you, let's desire to use it for the Lord. Think to yourself, well, God has given me this ability. God has given me this gift. And I'm going to thank him for it. And I'm going to ask him to help me to use it for his glory. The proper use of the talent. Let me tell you something else. The proper use of the tithe. That's another way to have treasure in the heavens that faileth not. The Old Testament scripture talks about the tithe. The tithe is one-tenth of our gross income. It was... Uh, commanded by Moses. Of course, the example was set by Abraham long before that. And I want to remind you of a very important Bible principle this morning. Everything belongs to the Lord. It's all his. He has given it to us in his good grace. Listen to what David said. It, it says in First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 10, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, for ever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven 
and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great, and to give strength unto all. Thou therefore our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Now there's nothing wrong with making money. I want to tell you this morning that money is not the root of all evil. That's a lie of the devil. But it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Isn't that what the Bible says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in the verse 10? For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not wrong to be wealthy or to be a rich person. It's the love of it. Possession of wealth is not wrong for the child of God. We could talk about wealthy Abraham. We could talk about the wealth of Solomon. Maybe I could add something else. It's not wrong to, to save some money in a bank account. Um, over there in Second Corinthians chapter 12 and in the verse um, 14, uh, we're told, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Here's God's seal of approval on a parent laying up for the child or the children, making provision. It's one of the parental obligations. According to uh, Timothy again in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in the uh, verse 8, uh, the Apostle Paul could say this uh, to um, uh, parents, but if any provide not for his own house, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's not wrong to provide for one's family or not wrong to provide for needy occasions. It's not wrong to lay up for yourselves, provide for your own body and needs. You see, there's no blanket ban in the Bible in keeping a nice house or keeping a house that's neat and tidy. There's no blanket ban in the Bible telling every rich person to sell all and become a poor man and live like a beggar. It's not saying that. But what it's saying is this. Don't be found in a calculated, determined effort or be found in a position to lay up treasure in this earth. Because the picture is of a greedy, grasping man with a greedy, grasping eye or hand seeking in a determined way to heat up treasures in this life only. Think about the rich farmer. He was not rich toward God. So was he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He thought more of his grain than he did of God. He thought more of his barns than he did of his Bible. He thought more of his silver than he thought about soul. You see, the word treasure here, it's not just a reference to money. Of course, it includes that. It means anything that is of value to the person stating it. The real test is not what a man possesses, but what possesses the man. 
What possesses you? See, the Lord Jesus said here, earthly treasure can be affected by thieves. There's no real security for treasures on this earth. It was Spurgeon in England way back in 1880, speaking about a gardener. He said a big man in a very big house was boasting of all his goods, talked about his forest, his farm, his fields, his fortune. And he said, all this belongs to me. It's all mine. And the old gardener said, Squire, do you see the old woman there at the edge of the forest? She hasn't much of this world's goods. She's no field, forest, farm, or fortune. She's got one cow, and it's sickly. She's got a few chickens that lay a few eggs. But I want to tell you, Squire, that woman's richer than you because you're possessed of your riches. She's possessed of a greater riches. She's got the riches of God. Eternal riches can be affected by moths. Moths can steadily and silently and stealthily eat away at fine clothes and a wardrobe or a drawer. Even the best and most expensive of cloth. And the thought is time like a moth can steadily and stealthily and silently eat away at the life of a rich man. And by every swing of the pendulum it brings him near to death. Brings him near to the day when he, he leaves it all behind. It was Wesley that said, John Wesley, earn all you can. Work all you can. Give all you can. The Bible tells us that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. A generous people give because they live in light of the God who has given them so much. And they, they start with the tithe. Do you know who you pay the tithe to? You don't pay it to the church. It's not to the minister. It's not to the leadership. I don't stand at the Lord's treasury. Do you know who you give it to? You give it to Christ. Each Lord's day, as you give a portion of your income back to God, you're giving it to the Lord Jesus. It says in Hebrews 7 and verse 8, he receives tithes of his people. Just as Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus is like the heavenly Melchizedek. And he receives tithes of his people. Lord, you've given me so much. Lord, you've been good to me. Lord, I'm delighted to be able to give you back a portion. See, the scripture actually teaches how much we should give. It starts with the tenth. The offerings are over and above that. Malachi 3 and 10. Bringing you all the tithes into the storehouse. What is the tithe used for? The furtherance of the gospel. It's used to help the poor. It's used for missionary work. It's used for an emergency fund. It's used to maintain and upkeep the house of God. And we want to thank you as part of the treasury team for your financial support and for your financial giving to the work of God. It takes a lot to run the house of God. It takes a lot to, to build a church for God as, as we're discovering. But here's a proper use, not only of time and talents, but a proper use of the tithe. And in that way, we have got a treasure in heaven that faileth not. And what I'm saying this morning, if Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, and he's a picture of the Lord Jesus, and he gave them to Melchizedek after the victory of a battle. He wasn't given to get. 
He gave them to Melchizedek because God had blessed him and God had been with him. Therefore, let's discover that secret again. Something else very quickly, a proper use of truth. I believe that we should rightly handle the word of God. The Bible tells us to buy the truth and sell it not. The Bible doesn't merely contain the word of God. It is the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I believe there's no Jewish fables in the Bible. Any free Presbyterian minister that says there is should hang his head in shame. There's no errors in the Bible. I've got a high view of the Bible. It is God's infallible and errant word. And here's Jesus saying in this text, sell that ye have and give alms. Why did Jesus say that? Is he saying that if you do that, you'll be more spiritual than someone else? Is he saying it because it's carnal to be rich and spiritual to be poor? Is he saying it because poverty is the touchstone for discipleship or being a Christian? Does he mean that if you do this, you can achieve your own salvation by selling all and giving it away? The answer to these questions is no. The answer to these questions is that would be utterly false. Because if you think that a man can achieve his own salvation by selling his possessions and becoming a poor man, uh, then deny the very doctrine of justification by faith alone. There's no such thing as piling up merit by our prayers, by our payments, our pilgrimage, or our, our possessions. Well, what he's saying is this. Don't worry about or seek after your possessions. Seek first God's kingdom. And then in light of that, if there's a genuine need and you have excess baggage or excess possessions that you're not really using, then you can sell those possessions and can give alms to uh, those in need. Because one's heart follows one's treasure. He's not saying to sell every possession and all Christians must live in dire poverty. But if he did ask us to sell some of our possessions, our excess baggage, would we be willing? He's talking about possessions other than food and clothing. He's talking about our luxury items. He's talking about the non-essentials. He's talking about the excess baggage that we all have. And I'm asking if he would ask us to sell it. Would we be willing to and give it to the glory of God? There's a proper use of the truth. Notice lastly and quickly here, promoting a treasure in heaven. He says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want us to think of these five principles in closing. For this promotes a, a, a treasure in heaven, a right view of salvation. Let me ask you, have you experienced the conviction of sin? Have you felt oneself to be a sinner? Have you discovered that you're heedless and godless until this treasure of conviction by the Spirit of God has sprung up in your heart and mind? And you become subject to that. And you become conscious of a need to be right with God. And that has led to a confession of faith in Christ. Because you must have a right view of salvation. You must have a right view of heaven's treasure. God first, that's the principle. Living for the Saviour. How do we view wealth and possessions? 
Do we have an eye to winning souls to Jesus Christ? Do we give ourselves to spend time in prayer? Do, do we do things to, to help further the work of God? Do, do we live a life of holiness to the glory of God? A right view of self. What are we? We're lumps of clay. We're pilgrims and strangers in the world. And we're all under the eye of God. That's how we're living. Hebrews 11. Mighty men in Hebrews 11 did many mighty things for God. How did they endure? How did they cope? How, How did they suffer persecution and hardship? By seeing him who is invisible. They kept their eyes on the Lord. They realize we're not here to accumulate things. We're here on a journey. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're going to travel light. We're, we're traveling towards heaven. We're going to reach the end. We're not here forever. They had a right view of life. A right view of the gift and graces of God. Everything belongs to the Lord. I must live in light of the fact that I give an account one day to God. I don't want to be a hoarder of things. I just don't want to be a possessor of things for the sake of things. I don't want to be possessed by my things. Why? Because I'll give an account to God. And all that I have, God has given me. My home, my money, my time, my family. It's all only and loan. You see, greed seeks to gain more. But grace and generosity is eager to give it away if and when it's needed. It's not worth worrying about. Why? Because I've got Christ. And my possessions are not going to last. The rust, the moth, the thieves could steal them. But I've got something that's eternal. Something that's of great value. And a right view of the world to come. I close with this thought. Reverend Tom Cross, former minister in Enniskillen Independent Methodist Church, told me many years ago, going into the faith mission, he said, young man, David, You live your life with an eye on the judgment seat. You'll give an account to God one day. And give another eye to his second coming. For Jesus is returning to this world in power and glory. And that's a view of the world to come. There's a judgment seat. And there's a meeting with the Lord. And we wouldn't want to be ashamed at neither. Five principles that promote a treasury in heaven. And of course the Lord Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't already done. Because no one has ever given as much as the Lord Jesus has given. He gave himself for us. The son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. And I close with this. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me. Then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for heaven. Do you possess a treasury in heaven? Do you know how to produce it? Your time, your talent, your tithing, the truth of God's word, how to handle it properly? And will you promote it in this fivefold way by these right views of salvation, of gifts and graces, of the world to come? May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to your heart this morning.